0: Hi, I'm Samyar Ahmadian, 7th grade, Heli 2 class, Heli 4 school, and this is my podcast for English department. Hope you enjoy it, and let's go! Silas Marner, by George Eliot Silas Marner, The Weaver of Ravelu. In the 19th century, strange men were seen on the country roads. There were linen weavers. They were small and thin with tired white faces and round shoulders. To the villagers, the weavers looked foreign and frightening. Country people used to be suspicious of strangers and travelers. That's the reason the Lennon rivers were considered strangers and were sometimes lonely. Silas Moner was one of these weavers. He lived in a cottage near the village of Ravalu. He worked at his loom in the cottage. The boys of Ravalu used to go to his house to have a glance in at the window. If Silas spotted them, he started staring at the boys in a very creepy way. The villagers thought that Silas had an almost devilish power. Ravalou was a village with an old church and lots of large farms. Silas had first come to Ravalou fifteen years before. His way of life seemed strange to the villagers. He had no friends or visitors. One day, one of the villagers had had an experience with Silas. One evening, he had discovered the weaver wrestling on a field gate, his eyes open but dancing, and his body cold. After a few moments, Silas appeared to wake up said goodnight, and walked away. When this was discussed in the village, some people thought that Silas had had, had a fit, but others, like Mr. Macy, the church clerk, refused to accept a medical explanation. He said that Silas is not ill. I think his soul flies out of his body sometimes, and that's why he looks so strange. He doesn't come to church, and how does he know so much about medicines? You all remember how he made Sally Oates better when the doctor could do no more for her. Silas had come from a large town to the north of Ravalu. Here he had lived a very different life because he was one of a large number of weavers. He was not considered strange and he belonged to an enthusiastic religious group. They met every Sunday at the chapel in Light Street. Once at the chapel meeting, Silas had become unconscious for over an hour. You should not call this strange unconsciousness a feat. The minister, Mr. Paston, told them. Silas's best friend at chapel was William Dane. Silas trusted his friend completely. They remained good friends when Silas became engaged to a young woman, Sarah, who belonged to the same chapel. Strangely, when Silas had his feet at the chapel meeting, William was the only one who disagreed with the minister. To me, it looks more like the devil's work than God's, William had said. Look different to yourself, friend Silas. Is there any?" Evil hiding your soul. Silas was hurt that his friend doubted him. At that time, one of the chapel leaders was dangerously ill, and some of the young men offered to sit with him at night. One night, Silas was sitting alone at the old man's bedside. Suddenly, he realized that the man was dead. Strange, thought Silas. He's been dead for some time. And it's only four o'clock in the morning. Why hasn't William come? Pyramids, he promised he would come at two o'clock. He hurried out of the house to call the doctor and the minister, and then went to work, still wondering why William hadn't arrived. But that evening William came to his room with the minister. You must come to the chapel at once," said Mr. Paston. But why? asked Silas. You will hear when you get there, was the answer. Then, in the chapel, Silas stood in front of all the people who were once his friends. There was a pocket knife in the minister's hand. where did you lift this knife? he asked. I don't remember, Silas answered. Silas, you must confess cried the minister. Tell us the truth, this knife was found at the dead man's bedside, and the bag of church money has gone. Search my room, you won't find the money, said the minister. You were the only one in our dead friend's house last night when the money was stolen, said Mr. Paston. William tells us he was suddenly ill, which prevented him from coming to take your place. We will search your room. And when they went to Silas's room, William found the missing bag, now empty. Silas, cried William, confess your crime to us now, Silas said. William, in the nine years since we have been friends, have I ever told you a lie? He suddenly remembered something. He said, the knife wasn't in my pocket last night. I don't know what you mean, replied William. In the Light Street Chapel, they did not believe in the law or judges. They all went down on their knees to ask for God's help in finding the truth. Silas knelt with them, sure that God would prove his honesty. The minister took one of the papers out of the cover box. The Lord say that Silas Manor has stolen the money, he said. You will leave the chapel, Silas Manor and you will not be accepted back until you confess your crime. Silas listened. At last, he walked over to William and said, I lent you my knife. You stole the money and you've blamed me for it. But perhaps you'll never be punished, since there is no God who, take, who takes care of the good and punishes the bad. You hear, my friends? Said William. This is the voice of the devil speaking. Sallas went home. The next day, he sat alone for the whole day. On the second day, the minister came to tell him that Sarah had decided she could not marry him. A month later, Sarah married William, and soon afterwards, Sallas left the town. At Ravellu, Sallas shut himself away in his cottage. He did not want to think about the disaster. He did not feel strong enough to build up that trust again. In a new church and with new friends. All that was left to him was his weaving and he sat at his loom seven days a week working all the daylight hours. Now he began to earn more than ever before. He was often paid for his linen in gold. In his childhood, Solis had been taught by his mother to make simple medicines from plants. One day he saw the shoemaker's wife, Sally Oates, sitting at her cottage door, and he realized she had all the signs of the illness which had killed his mother. He felt sorry for Sally, and he prepared some medicine for her. The villagers considered this a good example of Sallis's strange power. But as it had worked for Sally, they started visiting Salis to ask for help with their illnesses. Salus knew he had no special power, and so he sent them away. The villagers believed he was refusing to help them, and they were angry with him. They blamed him for accidents and deaths in the village. So, Salus's kindness to Sally did not help him make friends in Ravelu. But the piles of gold coins in his cottage grew higher. He counted the coins into piles of ten and wanted to see them grow into a square and then into a larger one. He was delighted with every new coin, but it made him want another. He began to think the coins were his friends, but it was only at night. When he had finished his work that he spent time with them, he kept them in two bags under the floorboards near the loom. He took them out every evening to look at them and count them the coins shone in the firelight and solace loved every one of them when he looked at his loom he thought of the half earned gold in the work he was doing and he looked forward to the years ahead of him the countless days of weaving and the growing piles of gold Most important person in Revolut was Squire Cass, a farmer who lived with his three sons in a house opposite the church and owned a number of farms outside the village. His wife had died many years before. One dark November evening, some of the villagers were drinking beer in the public house, the Rainbow. Mr. Macy, the church clerk, was remembering the squire's wife. She was a wonderful lady, he said. Everything was so clean at the Red House when she was alive. When she died, the squire didn't know what to do and is still lonely, believe me. That's why we often see him here in the evenings. And if Mrs. Cass was alive, I'm sure she would be very disappointed with her sons. The squire should make those boys do some work. But instead he lets them stay at home and gives them money come sir macy said the landlord they're rich gentlemen after all you can't expect them to work on the farms like us but they're right about dancing cass he's a bad one he will come to a bad end but the other two are different said the butcher bob cass is still only a boy And Mr. Godfrey, well, I don't believe he'll be like his brother, Dunstan. He's got an on his face, and he's going to inherit the squire's money. And what's more, he's going to marry Miss Nancy Lammeter. When she moves into the Red House as Mrs. Godfrey Cass, she'll make life more comfortable for all the Casses. She'll save the squire money too. The farrier disagreed with the butcher. Mr. Godfrey married Miss Nancy? He laughed. That's what you think. Haven't you noticed how Miss Nancy has changed towards Godfrey since last year? He was away from home for days and days. Nobody knows what he was doing. Miss Nancy won't marry a man she can trust. The landlord said, what you all say is very true but let's hope that Mr. Godfrey doesn't lose his chance of marrying Miss Nancy. Meanwhile, at the Red House, Godfrey was waiting for his brother in the sitting room. Soon the door opened and the man entered. It was Dunstan. How I hate him, thought Godfrey. Well, sir. Said Dunstan. You sent for me, and as you're the oldest, and you'll be the squire one day, I have to obey you. So, what do you want? Just listen, replied Godfrey. You must pay me back the money I lent you last month. You know I got it from Fowler. He owed the money to the squire and asked me to give it to him. Now the squire is angry with Fowler and i've got to give the money back dunstan came close to godfrey and smiled well why don't you find the money yourself godfrey controlled himself with difficulty don't smile at me like that or i'll hit you oh no you won't answered dunstan Because if you do, I'll tell the squire your secret. I'll tell him that his eldest son fell in love with Molly in the town and married her. The squire will be angry and he'll disinherit you. Then I'll get the house and land when he dies. But don't worry, I won't tell him, and you'll find the money to pay back." "'Where can I get the money from?' said Godfrey. "'I tell you, I haven't got any. ''You could borrow it,'' said Dunstan, ''or wait, I have a better idea. You could sell your horse.'' ''You know how much I love that horse.'' ''Well, you could ride him to the hunt tomorrow. I know two or three men would be interested in buying him. You will be at the hunt.'' ''No, I haven't got time to go hunting tomorrow. I'm going to Mrs. Osgood's birthday dance.'' Uh Aha, said Dunstan, and perhaps you'll see sweet Miss Nancy there and you'll dance with her. Be quiet, shouted Godfrey, don't speak of Miss Nancy like that or I'll kill you. Dunstan came close to Godfrey and smiled. Don't get so angry, brother, said Dunstan. In fact, I advise you to be nice to her. You and I know that Molly's started drinking. Well, if she drinks too much one day and dies, then you could marry Nancy. She wouldn't mind being a second wife. And you've got a kind brother who keep your secret. Godfrey's face was white. Look, I've nearly had enough of this. You can push a man too far. Perhaps I'll go to the square and confess everything to him. He'll discover the truth. Because Molly says she'll come and tell him. When the squatter knows the truth, you won't get any more money from me. Dunstan replied, do what you like, brother. Godfrey knew he had fallen into Dunstan's trap. It was Dunstan who had introduced his brother to Molly hoping that Godfrey would marry her. Dunstan was delighted that his plan had succeeded. Godfrey no longer loved his young wife and could not stop thinking of Nancy. He felt sure that with Nancy, he could be open and honest with everybody. But for the moment, he had to give Dunstan whatever he wanted, keep Molly happy and lie to his father and his friends. If he told his father the truth, the situation would become impossible, the squire would disinherit him, and he would be just a poor working man for the rest of his life. And worse than that, he would lose hope of marrying Nancy. But he could not accept that. He would find the money and wait for the situation to get better. He turned to Dunstan. It's just like you to talk of selling wildfire, the best horse I've ever had. Let me sell him for you. I can ride him to the hunt for you tomorrow and bring you back the money. You'll lend me that money and you'll have to pay it back to the squire. so it's your problem, Godfrey said. All right, but make sure you bring me back all the money. The next morning, as Dunstan was riding wildfire out of Ravelu, he passed the old quarry. It was no longer used. Now all that was left was a deep hole full of water. Opposite the quarry was Silas Marner's cottage. Dunstan had an idea. Everybody in Ravelu talks of the weaver's money. He must have a lot hidden in that cottage. Why doesn't Godfrey borrow some money from him? and pay him back when he becomes the squire. He wanted to go back at the Red House to tell Godfrey about the idea of his, but he did not want to miss the hunt, so he decided to continue on his way. At the hunt, at the hunt, he met several friends and neighbors, and before the hunt started, He managed to sell wildfire for a good price. The money would be paid when he brought the horse to the neighbor's house. Dunstan knew it would be safer to take the horse there so that he could be sure of receiving the money. But he was confident that he could take care of wildfire during the hunt, and so he joined the other riders. This time he was not lucky and horse and rider fell while jumping a gate. Dunstan got up but poor Waldfire's back was broken and he died. Dunstan looked around and was glad to see that no other riders had noticed his accident. He did not care much about Waldfire because he thought he had a much better plan to offer Godfrey. The worst thing was that he would have to walk home, something he was not at all used to doing. He started down the country road. He kept thinking about Solace's money. There would certainly be enough for his own needs as well as Godfrey's. Dunstan thought it would be easy to frighten the weaver and then Silas would quickly agree to lend his money. It was four o'clock in the afternoon. Dunstan did not see anyone on his way back to Ravalue. He knew he was getting close to the old quarry. At last, he saw light coming from the weaver's cottage. Why not ask the old man for the money now, he thought. But when he knocked, there was no reply, and when he pushed the door, it opened. Dunstan found himself in front of a bright fire. Salus Manor was not there. Dunstan was cold, so he went quickly to sit by the warm fire. As he sat down, he noticed a small piece of meat cooking over the fire. So! The old man's cooking meat for his supper, thought Dunstan. But where is he? Why is his door unlocked? Perhaps he went out to fetch some wood for the fire and fell into the quarry. Perhaps he's dead. And if he's dead, who inherits his money? Who would know that anybody had come to take it away? Dunstan wanted Silas to be dead, and he wanted Silas's money. He looked around again. Dunstan looked under the bed, but the money was not there. Then he noticed a place on the floor near the loom, where the floorboards looked different. By pulling up one of the boards, he discovered Silas's hiding place. He took out the two heavy bags filled with gold, put the boards back and hurried to the door. Outside, the rain was falling and he could not see anything at all. He stepped forward into the darkness when he was carrying the heavy bags. When Cass left the cottage, Solis Manor was a hundred meters away. He was walking home from the village, where he had gone to buy what he needed for his next day's work. He was looking forward to supper time. Tonight, he had an extra reason to hurry home. He was going to eat hot meat. Someone had given him a piece of meat as a present. He had left it cooking over the fire. The door key was needed to hold it safely in place, but Silas was not at all worried about leaving his gold in the cottage with the door unlocked. He could not imagine that a thief would find his way through the mist, rain, and darkness to the little cottage by the quarry. When he reached his cottage and opened the door, he did not notice the that anything was different he pushed the meat closer to the fire as soon as he was warm again he began to think about his gold it seemed a long time to wait until after supper he decided to bring out his gold but when he took up the floorboards he did not understand at once there was nothing there he put his hands to his head and tried to think had he put his gold in a different place? He searched every corner of his cottage. He had to accept the truth. He gave a scream and stood for a moment. Then he turned towards his loom and almost fell into, the, into a seat. Now he was beginning to think more clearly. A thief has been here. If I can find him... He'll have to give back my gold. But I was only there for a short time, and there's no sign of anyone entering the cottage. He wondered whether it was really a thief, or whether it was the same cruel God who had destroyed his happiness once. But Silas preferred to suspect a thief. He began to think it must be Jem Rodney, a local poacher who sometimes visited the cottage. Silas felt stronger now. I must go and tell the squire and the police, he said. They'll make Jem give him back the money. He hurried out in the rain and ran towards the rainbow. He thought he would find the most important people in Raveloe at the public house. But in fact, most of them were at Mrs. Osgood's birthday dance. There were five villagers at the Rainbow talking about ghosts. I tell you, people have seen ghosts, the butcher said. And I'll tell you where, behind the church. That's right, agreed Mr. Macy. You young ones aren't old enough to remember, but people have seen ghosts near the church. Oh yes, it's true. The farrier laughed. (sighs) People imagine they see things on a dark night. You can't make me believe in ghosts. It's a question of fact. There are no ghosts. Now, said the landlord, in some ways, you're all wrong, and in some ways, you're all right. There are ghosts, and there aren't. And just then Silas's white face appeared in the doorway. He could not speak for a moment, he stared at the man with his strange eyes, looking exactly like a ghost. Nobody said anything. Silas tried to control his breathing. Then the landlord spoke. What do you want, Mr. Marner? Tell us. Robbed, cried Silas. I've been robbed. I want the police and the squire. Hold him, Jem, said the landlord to the poacher. I think he's gone mad. Jem moved quickly away. Not me, he replied. I don't want anything to do with a ghost. Jem cried Silas. Yes, Mr. Monner," answered Jem. If it was you who stole my money, said Silas. Just give it back to me. Stole your money? Cried Jem. I'll throw this glass at you if you accuse me of stealing your money. Come now, Mr. Mahner said the landlord you must explain if you want us to believe you that's right said the farrier no more stirring like a madman silas sat down and told his story it felt strange to him to talk to his neighbors the men realized at once that silas was telling the truth they had suspected him of working for the devil well, Mr. Moner," said the landlord, you mustn't accuse Jim. He's been sitting here drinking with us all evening. So he's not a thief. That's right, said Mr. Macy. You can't accuse someone who hasn't done anything wrong, Mr. Moner." These words brought the past back to Silas. And... He remembered standing in front of his accusers in the chapel. He went up to Jem. I'm sorry, Jem, Sulla said. I had no reason to accuse you, but where can my gold be? Perhaps some stranger came to your cottage, said the farrier. But we must report the robbery to the police and the squire. Next morning... When the whole village heard about the stolen gold, they all discussed it. A few people still did not trust Silas or believe his story. Most people were suspicious of the peddler who had visited Ravelu the month before. Perhaps he had returned to steal the money when Silas left his cottage. Several villagers remembered his evil-looking face. And felt he was not honest. Silas himself remembered that the peddler had come to his cottage door recently. He hoped that the peddler was indeed the thief because the police could catch him and make him give back the money. His home seemed very empty to him without his gold and he wanted to get it back Godfrey was not very surprised to find that Dunstan had not come home Perhaps he was staying the night at a public house But when Dunstan did not return home the next day Godfrey began to worry about his horse He did not trust his brother So, he decided to go to look out for him. On a road near Ravalu, he met his neighbor, John Bryce, who had arranged to buy wildfire from Dunstan. ''Well, Godfrey,'' said Bryce, ''did your brother tell you about the horse?'' ''What do you mean, John?'' replied Godfrey. ''No, it hasn't been home yet. What's happened to my horse?'' Ah, so he was yours. Dunstan told me you'd given him wildfire. I was going to buy him. What's Dunstan done? Is wildfire hurt? Asked Godfrey. Worse than that, answered Bryce. I'm afraid your horse is dead. We've only just found him. Your brother rode him to the hunt, and the horse fell at a gate, And broke his back so you haven't seen Dunstan since yesterday no and he'd better not come home now replied Godfrey how stupid I was to trust him with my horse but where can Dunstan be I suppose he wasn't hurt because we didn't find him near the horse him said Godfrey oh he'll be all right he'll never be hurt he only ever hurts other people we'll hear of him soon enough don't worry bryce said goodbye godfrey rode slowly back into revenue he must confess the whole truth to his father the squire for the rest of the day he planned what he would say. He would explain that he had lent Fowler's money to Dunstan because Dunstan knew his secret. That would be the right moment to tell the squire about his secret marriage to Molly. But he'll be very angry, thought Godfrey, and when he's angry with people, he just wants to punish them but perhaps he'll keep my secret he's so proud of the family name and if he disinherited me everyone would talk about it when he went to bed that night godfrey thought he had decided what to say but when he woke up in the morning he could not see any reason to confess to the marriage Why should he lose the chance of marrying Nancy? No, it would be better to go on in the same way as before. But today I will tell the squire about the money, he thought. He will have to know about that. Godfrey was already in the dining room when his father arrived. The squire sat down at the head of the table. ''Haven't you had breakfast yet?'' he asked. ''Yes, I uh, have,'' replied Godfrey. ''But I was going to speak to you.'' ''Well, you young people have plenty of time,'' said the squire. ''We older ones have to do all the work.'' ''Uh, sir?'' Said Godfrey. I must tell you that uh, 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 something unfortunate has happened to a wildfire. Uh, ha- oh. Has he broken a leg? I thought, you sh- I thought you could ride better than that. Well, you can't expect me to pay for a new horse. I'm very short sure of money now. And I'm angry with Fowler. He still hasn't paid me what he owes me. He will go to prison. The squire was so angry as he spoke. It's worse than breaking your leg, continued Godfrey. "Uh, uh, Wildfire's dead. Uh, But uh, I don't want you to buy me another horse. I just just, uh, feel sorry I can't pay you. I'm very sorry, Uh, Fowler did pay the money he gave it to me and i was stupid enough to let dunstan have it and he was going to sell wildfire and i was going to repay you the money the squire's face was purple and he could not speak for a moment what you let dunstan have my money what have you done why didn't you want it Why did he want it? Where's Dunstan now? He will answer my questions or leave this house. Go and fetch him now. Uh, I'm sorry, Dunstan hasn't come home. Uh, Nobody knows where Dunstan is. Well, why did you let him have my money? Said the squire. Well, uh, sir, I don't know, replied Godfrey. Well, uh, he was not good at lying. You don't know? said the squire. Well, I know why. I think you've done something wrong, and you've bribed Dunstan to keep it a secret. That's it, huh? The squire had made a clever guess. Godfrey was not ready to to confess everything yet. "Uh, Well, uh, sir, he said, it was just a little business between Dunstan and me. How old are you now, twenty-six? asked the squire. Old enough to look after your money and mine too. I've been much too generous to you boys. But I'm going to be harder on you all from now on. You've got a weak character, Godfrey, like your mother. I think you need a wife who knows what she wants. Because you can't decide anything by yourself. When you were thinking of marrying Nancy, I agreed. Have you asked her? She hasn't refused to marry you? No, I haven't asked her, said Godfrey. "Uh, But I don't think she'll accept me. Don't be stupid, said the squire. Any woman would want to marry into our family. Do you want to marry her? But there is no other woman I want to marry," said Godfrey. Well, let me speak to her father for you, since you are brave enough to do it yourself. She's a pretty girl and intelligent. Uh, No, please uh, don't say anything now," said Godfrey. I must uh, ask her myself. Well, ask her. When you marry her, you'll have to forget about horses. Uh, you should get married soon." Uh, Please uh, don't try to hurry things, sir," said Godfrey. I'll do what I like," said the squire. And if you don't do what I want, I'll disinherit you, and you will leave the house. Now, if you know where Dunstan's hiding, tell him he can't come home. He'll pay for his own food from now. I don't know where he is, sir. Uh, Anyway, It's you who should tell him to leave home. Don't argue with me, said the squire. Just go and tell the servants to get my horse ready. Godfrey left the room. He was relieved that his father had not discovered the whole truth. However, he was a little uh, worried. While he was married to Molly, he could not marry Nancy, but he was waiting and hoping for some unexpected change in his situation. In the weeks following the robbery, the police tried hard to find the peddler, but there was no sign of him in any of the towns and villages around Raveloe. Nobody was surprised at Dunstan Cass's absence. Nobody imagined he could have anything to do with the robbery. The villagers continued to discuss Silas and his lost gold. Silas still had his loom and his work, so he went on weaving. But the only thing that had made his life worth living had gone, and now he had nothing to look forward to. A lifetime of empty evenings lay ahead of him. He did not enjoy thinking of the money he would earn. As he sat weaving, he sometimes used to moan to himself. But this disaster had one good result. Little by little, Silas's neighbors realized it was wrong to be suspicious of him. He was just a simple man who needed their help. They showed their new opinion of him. Some of the women who were baking cakes and preparing meat for Christmas brought him presents of food. Some of the men who had nothing to give him stopped him in the village to ask about his health or visited him to discuss the robbery. They often finished their conversation by saying, now you are the same as the rest of us. We are poor too. Cheer up, Master Marner. If you get ill, the squire will give you food and your neighbors will take care of you. This did not make Silas feel better, but he realized it was meant kindly. Mister Macy came to the cottage one day to explain how his opinion of the weaver had changed. ''You see, Master Marner,'' he said, ''I used to think you worked for the devil, but now I'm sure you're not evil. That's what I tell the neighbors.'' The weaver did not speak. He knew that the old man was trying to be kind, but he was too miserable to show interest. "Uh, ''Come, Master Marner.'' What's your answer to that? asked Mr. Macy. Uh, oh, said Silas. Uh, thank you for your kindness. That's all right, replied Mr. Macy. Now you shouldn't sit here moaning. Here's my advice. Ask Tuki in the village to make you a Sunday suit and then you can come to the church with your neighbors. You are not an old man. yet. How old were you when you came here first? Twenty-five? Uh, I don't remember, answered Silas. Uh, that evening, Mr. Macy told a number of villagers at the Rainbow. Master Marner doesn't know how old he is. And I don't suppose he knows what day of the week it is. Another villager, Dolly Winthrop, was also worried about Silas' absence from church. She was a fresh-faced woman and went to the church every Sunday. She believed in helping her neighbors. This woman decided to help Silas. So, one Sunday, she took her son Aaron to visit the weaver. As they came closer to the cottage, they heard the sound of the loom. Oh, dear, working on a Sunday, said Mrs. Winthrop. She had to knock loudly on the door. Salus said nothing, but opened the door and Dolly sat down. "Uh, I was baking yesterday, Master Marner, she said, and I've brought you some of my cakes. Thank you, replied Salus. Aaron was hiding behind his mother's chair, in fear of the weaver. You didn't hear the church bells this morning, perhaps, Master Marner? asked Dolly. This cottage is a long way from the village. Uh, yes, answered Silas. For him, Sunday bells did not mean anything. There had been no bells at the Lloyd Street Chapel. ''Oh!'' said Dolly. ''But uh, do you have to work on a Sunday? You could make Sunday different from the other days.'' ''And Master Marnie, Christmas Day will be here soon. Uh, If you put on your best clothes and go to church, you'll feel much better. You'll know there is someone you can trust.'' Uh, ''No, uh, I'm sorry,'' Salus replied. ''I don't know anything about church.'' Never been? said Dolly. Were there no churches in the town you were born in? Oh, yes, said Silas. Uh, There were a lot of churches. It was a big town, but I only ever went to chapel. Dolly did not understand this word, but was afraid of asking any more questions in case chapel meant something evil. She said, "Uh, well, Master Marner, it's never too late to start going to church. If we go to church, when trouble comes, uh, someone will take care of us. And if we do our best, then I believe someone will help us. Dolly's explanation of her simple religion did not seem at all clear to Silas but he understood that she was asking him to go to church. He did not want to agree to that. Just then, young Aaron came out from behind his mother's chair and Celeste offered him one of Dolly's cakes. Oh, Aaron, said his mother, you're always eating. No, don't give him any more, Master Marner. But he can sing a song for you. I'm sure you'll like it. It's a beautiful Christmas carol. Come Aaron, let's hear it. Little Aaron stood up straight and sang his carol in a sweet voice. Dolly listened with delight. You see, Master Marner, she said when Aaron had finished. The Christmas Day service is wonderful. I hope you'll be there with us. Remember, if you feel ill, I'll be happy to come and take care of you. But I beg you. uh, Please uh, stop weaving on Sundays. It's bad for soul and body. We must go now. Goodbye, Master Marner. Uh, Thank you and goodbye, said Silas. He could not help feeling relieved when she had gone. Now he could weave and moan as much as he liked. Mr. Macy and Dolly had tried hard to persuade Silas to go to church. But in the end, he spent Christmas Day alone in his cottage. In the evening, snow began to fall, and he felt more separate from his neighbors than ever. He sat in his robbed home. His fire was no longer burning, and he was getting cold. When in the church bells were ringing, and the church was fuller than all through the rest of the year. It was a special day for everybody. At the Red House, nobody spoke of Dunstan's absence. The village doctor, Dr. Kimball, and his wife were guests there for Christmas lunch. The servants, were already preparing for the New Year's Eve dance, which Squire Cass gave every year. Godfrey was looking forward to this year's party more than usual, but he was still worried. What if Dunstan returns? He thought. He'll tell the squire about my secret marriage, and Molly's asking for more money. I'll have to sell something for cash, but on New Year's Eve. I can forget everything and sit with Nancy and look into her eyes. On December 31st, it was snowing and very cold. Godfrey Cass was waiting at the door for the only guest they cared about, Nancy. She arrived. Why is he waiting for me? She thought. People say he leads a bad life and I can't marry a man like that. But the squire just appeared. Nancy hurried into the house with the other ladies to change her clothes. Mrs. Kimball was giving orders in a loud voice. Cooks were preparing food in the kitchens. Upstairs, the ladies were putting on their best dresses. Nancy met her aunt, Mrs. Osgood. The Misses Gunn were two young ladies who were dressed very fashionably. Just then, Nancy's older sister, Priscilla, arrived. She was a cheerful girl. Priscilla said to Mrs. Osgood, Look at our dresses, aunt. Of course, Nancy looks beautiful in hers. This color makes me look yellow. I'm ugly, I know I am, but I don't mind. In my opinion, the pretty girls are useful to catch the men. Any woman with a good father and a good home had better stay single. We ugly girls don't need husbands. Mrs. Osgood said, My visitors and I should go downstairs now. Priscilla and Nancy We'll see you later." And the three ladies hurried out. Oh really, Priscilla, cried Nancy, I'm sure the Mrs. Gunn thought you were very impolite. You almost told them they were ugly. Did I? Asked Priscilla. Well, that's the way I am. I always tell the truth, but I'm the ugly one. Uh, Priscilla, you know I asked you to choose the dresses, replied Nancy. I don't mind what color I wear, you look lovely in this color, you know you always have whatever you want in the end, I'm looking forward to seeing you married, it'll be fun watching you make your husband do what you want. Don't say that, answered Nancy, you know I'm never going to get married, Priscilla laughed. I'm the one who stay single, and if you don't like Godfrey Cass, there are plenty of other young men. Come, let's go downstairs. Seats at the dining table had been kept for the Lambert sisters. Priscilla was taken to seats between her father and the squire. Nancy felt herself blushing again as Godfrey came to lead her to a seat between himself and the vicar, Mr. Crackethorpe. She knew that if she married Godfrey, she would one day be the most important woman in Raveloe. But she repeated to herself that she could not marry a man of bad character. As she sat down, the vicar said, Miss Nancy, you're looking lovely in this evening. Isn't she Godfrey? Godfrey made no reply. There was too much he wanted to say to her, but the squire, who always enjoyed his parties and was feeling cheerful, was impatient with his son. He thought he had better speak. That's right, said the squire. When I look at Miss Nancy, I think she's more beautiful than any girl I've ever seen. Perhaps Godfrey will marry Nancy. Mr. Lameter was a serious gentleman. He had already decided that Godfrey must change his way of life before Nancy could marry him. Just then, Dr. Kimball called across the table. "Uh, Miss Nancy, uh, will you save a dance for me? Come, come, Kimball, said the squire. Let the young ones enjoy themselves. My son, Godfrey, will be angry if you take Miss Nancy away. I expect he has asked her for the first dance already. Haven't you, Godfrey? Godfrey said as lightly as possible. I haven't asked her yet, but I hope she'll agree if nobody's asked her. No, I haven't accepted anyone else, replied Nancy. So, uh, will you please have the first dance with me? asked Godfrey. She had not refused him. I will, answered Nancy. She wanted to remain polite. "Ah, Well, you're a lucky man, said Dr. Kimball. I think I can hear the music starting. The guests got up from the table in pairs to move into the large hall. The small village band was already playing as the squirrel led the vicar's wife to the end of the hall to start the dance. As the dance went on, Godfrey felt happier. He forgot all his problems. Suddenly the squirrel's heavy foot stood on part of Nancy's dress, and some of the material was pulled away at the waist. Nancy asked Godfrey to take her to a quarter of the place where she could repair the damage. He took her to a small room near the hall, but Nancy sat down on the chair furthest away from him and said Thank you, sir. Uh, You needn't stay. I'm very sorry about taking you away from the dance. Uh, It's not very kind of you, said Godfrey, to be sorry you've danced with me. I didn't mean that, replied Nancy. Gentlemen have so many things to enjoy. I'm sure that one dance can't matter very much. You know that isn't true. You know one dance with you means more to me than anything else. Nancy was a little surprised. Godfrey had not said anything like this to her. She replied, I'm afraid I can't believe you, Mr. Godfrey. Nancy, uh, if I changed my life, uh, would you think better of me? ''Would you like me then?'' said Godfrey. ''I'd be glad to see a good change in anybody.'' Uh, ''You're very uh, hard, Nancy,'' said Godfrey. ''You could help me to be better. I'm very miserable, but you don't feel anything.'' ''I think people who behave badly don't feel anything,'' said Nancy.'' Godfrey wanted to make her argue with him. But just then Priscilla hardened, saying, A dear child, let me look at your dress. I saw the square step on it during the dance. I suppose I'd better go now, Godfrey said to Priscilla. It doesn't matter at all to me whether you go or stay, said Priscilla. Do you want me to go? Godfrey asked Nancy, do whatever you like, replied Nancy, well I wanna stay, answered Godfrey, tonight he wanted to enjoy being with Nancy without thinking about what would happen tomorrow. Godfrey Cass was managing to forget his problems by the lovely Nancy's side, his wife was walking with slow steps along the snow-covered road to Ravelu. She was carrying her sleeping child in her arms. For some time, she had planned to come to Ravelu on New Year's Eve. She knew that her husband would be at the center of a happy group of friends she had chosen this moment to appear in front of all his family and guests at the red house dance. I don't care if Godfrey is ashamed of me, she thought. I want people to know we are married. Sometimes she hated her husband because he was still handsome and had money while she was no longer pretty and very poor. It had become a habit with her to spend most of the money Godfrey gave her on gin. She had a bottle in her pocket now, which she had lifted to her lips several times during her journey. It was already 7 o'clock in the evening. Molly did not know she was very near Ravalu. She thought she would rest for a while and still holding her child. She lay down on the snow. She did not notice that the ground was cold. In a few moments, the child woke up crying, but the mother did not seem to hear. Suddenly, as the child fell gently out of its mother's arms onto the soft snow, it noticed a bright, dancing light on the white ground. Interested, the child stood up to see where the brightness came from and followed the light to an open door, the door of Salis Marner's cottage. The little one toddled right in through the door and sat down by the bright fire. After a few minutes, the child felt warm and fell asleep. In the evenings, Silas sometimes used to open his door and look out. He had some idea that his money would come back. Tonight was New Year's Eve and the villagers had told him to stay awake until midnight because it would bring him good luck. So tonight, he was more restless than usual he opened his door several times during the evening and stared out but he saw and heard nothing in the silent night the last time he had one of his fits and stood there completely unconscious when he became conscious again he closed the door and turned back to the fire but when his eyes looked at the floor he seemed to see gold there his own gold taken and then brought back to him in the same strange way. For a few moments, he was unable to move. At last, he reached out his hand to touch the gold. But instead of metal coins, his finger felt soft curls. With great surprise, Silas fell on his knees. It was a sleeping child. Was he dreaming? Could it be his little sister, who had died when he was a child himself? But thinking of his sister made him remember the past and his life at the Light Street Chapel. He wondered if this child was some kind of message from his past. Just then, the child woke up and began to cry. Silas held it in his arms and spoke softly. He remembered that he had made some porridge earlier and gave a little to the child to eat. She stopped crying and lifted her eyes with a smile to Silas's face as she ate. But then she pulled at her wet shoes, trying to take them off, and Silas suddenly realized she had come to the cottage through the snow. so. He picked her up and went to the door. As he opened it and went out into the dark, the child cried and reached forward, almost jumping out of his arms. A few steps away, Silas found a young woman's body. At the red house, some people were still eating, while others were dancing. Godfrey was looking forward to his next dance with Nancy. He was watching her across the room when suddenly he saw something. It was his own child, carried in Silas Minor's arms. The weaver had come straight into the hall where the dancing was going on. Several people turned to look at the strange figure in the doorway. The squire could not understand why Silas had come in. He stood up and asked, Moner, what are you doing here? I've come for the doctor, replied Silas. There's a woman near my cottage. Godfrey had fear at that moment that the woman was not dead. If she was dead, he would be free to marry Nancy. The ladies came closer to look at the pretty child. Whose child is it? One of the masks. I don't know, replied Godfrey. She's been found in the snow, I think. You'd be better leave the poor child here with us, Master Marner, said Mrs. Kimball. No, I can't, said Silas. It's come to me. I don't know where from. I want to keep it. Well, said Mrs. Kimball, a single man like you, take care of a child, well... But the little one was holding on to Silas. Dr. Kimball hurried into the hall. Where is this poor woman? Near the old quarry, someone had better fetch Dolly Winthrop. I'll need her to help me. I'll go, cried Godfrey. He wanted to get away. He ran out into the night when he and Dolly arrived at the quarry. The doctor had moved the woman into Silas' cottage, and Godfrey had to wait outside. He knew he should tell the truth about the woman and the child, but he could not make himself do what he knew he was right. Is she dead? the voice inside his head asked. If she is, I can marry Nancy, and then I'll be good and have no more secrets. And I'll make sure the child is taken care of when dr. Kimball came out of the cottage Godfrey tried to speak I thought I'd wait to see he began oh there was no need for you to come and why didn't you send one of the men to fetch Dolly the woman's dead I'm afraid she's very thin and looks very poor but she's got a wedding ring on She'll be buried tomorrow. I'll just have a look at her, said Godfrey. I think I saw a woman on the road yesterday with a child. Perhaps it was her. And he ran into the cottage. There on the bed was his wife. He only looked at her for a moment. But for the rest of his life, he never forgot her face. The weaver had come back with the doctor and was sitting by the fire, with the child. The little one was awake, but her eyes looked up into Godfrey's face without recognizing him. The father was glad of this, but also a little sad. So, who's going to take care of the child? Godfrey asked. I am, replied Silas. I suppose the child hasn't got a father. She's alone, and so am I. My money's gone, and she's come. I don't know where from, but I'm going to keep her. Poor little thing, said Godfrey. Let me give you something for clothes. He put his hand in his pocket and gave Sulla some coins. As he walked back to the Red House, he felt relieved. Nobody would recognize his dead wife. Now he could talk to Nancy. He could promise to be a good husband to her. Only Dunstan knew about the secret marriage. And perhaps Dunstan would never come home. What a good thing I didn't confess everything to the squire, he thought. Now I can make Nancy happy. And the child? Well, it won't matter to her whether I'm her father or not. That week, the dead woman was buried in Ravalu, and the child stayed at the weaver's cottage. The villagers were surprised that Silas had decided to keep her. The women were ready to give him useful advice on taking care of children. Dolly Winthrop came every day to help Silas. It's no trouble, she said. I've got plenty of time and I can bring you some of Aaron's old clothes so you won't need to spend a lot of money on the child. I can wash her and give her food and... Yes, said Silas. He was looking a little jealously at the baby in Dolly's arms. That's very kind of you, but I want to do everything for her myself. I want her to be fond of me. She's my child. Don't worry, said Dolly. She loves you. She's smiling at you. And so Silas learned how to take care of the child. He called her Eppy, which had been his little sister's name. His life was different now. Now that he had another reason for living, he had to look outward. He spent hours in the fields with Eppy. Together, they visited his neighbors. His days and evenings were full, taking care of a lovely child. Godfrey watched the girl growing up with interest. During Epi's childhood, Godfrey often gave money to Silas to spend on her. His life was also changing. He was looking forward to marrying Nancy very soon. Nancy and I will have children he thought but I won't forget that other child It was 16 years after Silas had found Eppie in his cottage The Reveloe church bells were ringing and people were coming out of the church First came Godfrey on his arm was his wife Nancy, just behind them came Mr. Lammeter and Priscilla, they all went into the red house, "Uh, you and Priscilla will stay for tea, Nancy said to her father, you must ask Priscilla, said Mr. Lammeter, she manages me and the farm, it's better for your health if I manage everything said Priscilla then there's nothing for you to worry about no Nancy we must go home now but you and I can have a walk around the garden when the sisters were alone in the garden Priscilla said my dear I'm very glad you're going to have a dairy You'll never be sad when you've got a dairy, And she put her arm through her sister's. Priscilla, said Nancy, I'm only ever sad when Godfrey is. I could be happy if he could accept our life as it is. But it's more difficult for a man. Men, said Priscilla, they're always wanting something new. I'm glad I was too ugly to get married. Priscilla, said Nancy, don't be angry with Godfrey, he's a good husband, but of course he's disappointed that we haven't had children. Well, father is waiting for me, goodbye, and the sisters said goodbye. When Priscilla and her father had left, Godfrey said, Nancy, I'll go and look at some of the fields Uh, we are draining near the quarry, Will you be back by tea time? Yes, I'll be back in an hour. Godfrey enjoyed walking around the fields that belonged to him. So Nancy had a quiet hour at about this time. She remembered all the little things that had happened to her in the last 15 years. The sadness of her married life had been the death of her baby she had looked forward to becoming a mother but when the baby died soon after it was born she made herself accept the fact she did not allow herself to think about it godfrey had been disappointed nancy's religion was important to her she believed that people should accept whatever happened to them but she understood How difficult it was for Godfrey to accept that their marriage would be childless. Was I right? She wondered. To refuse him when he said we should adopt a child? I believe that God doesn't want us to have one. Poor Godfrey, I've got him and the house and now the dairy to think about. He wants children so much. From the first moment Godfrey had spoken of adopting a child, he had mentioned Eppie's name. He had no idea that Silas would rather die than lose Eppie, and he imagined that the weaver would be glad if the child were adopted by the Cass family. After all, the girl will have a much better life with us, he told himself. I can never tell Nancy the truth about Eppie. I'm afraid she'll hate me for it. While Nancy was sitting in the red house, Silas and Eppie were sitting outside their cottage. They had been to church, which they did every week, like most of the villagers. Silas had started taking Eppie to church because Dolly Winthrop had persuaded him that every child should have some religious training. Because of Epi, Silas was completely accepted in Revelu. Nobody thought he was strange, in fact, he was almost a popular figure in the village. He was older now and could not work hard, recently he had begun to remember the past. He realized how his lonely life had changed since Epi had come. He was happy. It seemed to him that there had been some mistake in his past. Perhaps now he would never know whether Mr. Paston, the minister, still thought he was guilty of stealing. But there must be a God of goodness in this world, he thought. I must trust and believe that he is right. He had told Eppy how her mother had died. He had given her the dead woman's wedding ring. Eppy was not at all interested in who her real father was. At the moment, she was sitting close to Silas outside. Neither of them had spoken for a while. Father, she said. If I get married, do you think I should wear my mother's ring? Oh, Epi, said Silas, are you thinking of getting married? Well, Aaron was talking to me about it, replied Epi. You know he's nearly 24 now and is earning good money and he'd like to be married soon. And who would like to marry him? asked silas me of course daddy said epi he won't want to marry anyone else and you'd like to marry him huh asked silas uh yes aaron says everyone's married sometime but i told him that's not true uh, because you haven't ever been married have you dad uh no said silas I was a lonely man. But you'll never be lonely again, said Eppy. That's what Aaron said. He wants us all to live together, and he'll do all the work. He'll be like a son to you. Well, my child, you're young to be married, said Silas. But he's a good young man. We'll ask his mother what you would do. You see, I'm getting older, and I'd like to think of you with a strong young husband to take care of you. We'll ask Aaron's mother for her opinion. At the Red House, Nancy was waiting for Godfrey to come home. Suddenly, one of the servants ran into the sitting room. Oh, ma'am, and there are lots of people in the street and they're all running towards the quarry and perhaps there's been an accident. Oh, Jane, don't get excited, replied Nancy. I expect it's nothing serious. Get the tea ready. Mr. Godfrey will be back soon. She was saying to herself, I hope nothing's happened to Godfrey. When he came into the room, she was relieved. Oh, I'm so thankful you've come, she said. I was beginning to think she stopped when she saw Godfrey's shaking hands and white face. She put her hand on his arm, but he threw himself into a chair. Sit down, Nancy, he said. I came back as soon as I could. It's terrible news for me. Hope it isn't Father or Priscilla, said Nancy. But no, said Godfrey, it's Dunstan, who left home 16 years ago. We found his body in the old quarry. Nancy felt calmer. Well, the quarry has gone dry, and we have found him lying at the bottom. We know it's him because he's wearing his watch and his rings. Godfrey paused. ''Do you think he drowned himself?'' asked Nancy. ''No, he fell in,'' replied Godfrey. Dunstan was the man who robbed Silas Manor. The bags of gold were found. ''Oh, I'm sorry,'' said Nancy. ''I had to tell you,'' Godfrey stopped, then said, ''Nancy, I've lived with a secret.'' but I'm going to confess it now. Nancy could not speak. Nancy, said Godfrey. That woman Silas Marner found in the snow was my wife. Epi is my child. He paused, but Nancy sat still. Perhaps you won't be able to love me anymore, he said. She was silent. I know I was wrong to marry Molly, but I only ever wanted to marry you." Nancy was silent. She was firm in her ideas of right and wrong, but at last she started speaking. Oh, Godfrey, why didn't you tell me sooner? I didn't know Epi is yours. Uh, Of course, I'd accept your child into our home. But why didn't you confess the truth before we married? We could be so happy with a beautiful daughter. But Nancy, cried Godfrey, I couldn't tell you everything. I wasn't in danger of losing you. I don't know about that. I certainly never wanted to marry anyone else. Our marriage hasn't been as happy for you as you thought it would be. ''Can you ever forgive me for what I've done, Nancy?'' asked Godfrey. ''You have only hurt me a little and you've been a good husband to me for 15 years, but it's the other woman who you've hurt the most.'' ''But we can take Eppy into our home,'' said Godfrey. ''It'll be different now that she's grown up,'' said Nancy. ''It'll be more difficult for her to get used to us,'' But it's our duty to take care of your child. So, we'll go to the weaver's cottage tonight, said Godfrey, and talk to Manor and Epi about it. That evening, Silas was resting in his chair. Epi was sitting close to him. And on the table was Silas's gold. That's all I ever did in the evenings, he was telling Epi. I was only half alive in those days, I was killing myself with working all day. It wasn't a healthy life, and when you came, I thought you were gold. And then, when I began to love you, I didn't want my gold anymore. The gold doesn't mean anything to me, now. But perhaps, if you went away from me, I'd need my gold again. Eppy did not have time to answer Silas, as just then there was a knock on the door. Mr. and Mrs. Cass came in. Good evening, my dear, said Nancy. We are sorry to come so late. Well, Manner, said Godfrey, I'm glad you've got your money back. Whatever I can do for you, I will. And I owe you a lot, Marner, Sola said. You don't owe me anything, sir. And that money on the table is more than most working people can save in their whole life. Epi and I don't need very much, Godfrey explained. Yes, you've done well these last 16 years. Epi looks healthy but not very strong. Don't you think she should be a lady? Now, Mrs. Cass and I would like to adopt a daughter to live with us. In fact, we'd like to have Epi. I'm sure you'd be glad to see her become a lady, and Epi will come to see you very often. Silas was hurt. He said to Eppie after a moment, I won't stand in your way. Thank Mr. and Mrs. Cass. It's very kind of them. Eppie said, uh, Thank you, sir and madame, but I can't leave my father, and I don't want to be a lady. Uh, thank you. She went back to Silas's chair. Godfrey was annoyed. Adopting Eppie would make him feel much less guilty about his past. But Eppie, you must agree, he cried. You are my daughter. My honor, is my own child. Her mother was my wife. Silas now felt angry. Then, sir, he answered, why didn't you confess this 16 years ago why do you come to take her away now god gave her to me because you turned your back on her and he considers her mine i know i was wrong and i'm sorry said godfrey but be sensible manner She'll often come to see you. She'll feel just the same towards you. Just the same? said Silas. How can she feel the same? We are used to spending all our time together. Godfrey thought the weaver was being very selfish. I think, Marner, he said, that you should consider what's best for Eppie. I'm sorry, but I think it's my duty to take care of my daughter. Silas was silent for a moment. At last, he said, All right, speak to the child. Godfrey and Nancy thought that Eppie would now agree. Eppie, my dear, said Godfrey, Although I haven't been a good father to you, I want to do my best for you now. I've always wanted a daughter, my dear, added Nancy. But Eppie stood by silas's side and said thank you for your kind offer but i wouldn't be happy if i left father but you must make sure said silas that you won't be sorry if you decide to stay with poor people i'll never be sorry father said Eppie. I don't want to be rich if I can't live with the people I love," Nancy said. What you say is natural, but there's a duty you owe to your father. But I can't think of any home except this one," cried Epi. I've only ever known one father, and I've promised to marry a working man who help me take care of father. Godfrey looked at Nancy. Let's go, he said to her. We won't talk of this anymore, said Nancy. We just want the best for you. Good night. Nancy and Godfrey left the cottage. When they reached home, Godfrey dropped into the chair. Nancy stood near him. After a few moments, he looked up at her that's ended he said nancy said yes i'm afraid we can't adopt her no said godfrey it's too late now i made mistakes in the past i wanted to be childless once and now i'll always be childless he continued but i've got you and yet i've been wanting something different Perhaps from now on, I'll be able to accept our life better. The following spring, there was a wedding in Ravalou. The sun shone warmly as Epi walked through the village towards the church with Silas, Aaron and Dolly. Epi was wearing the beautiful white wedding dress. She was walking with their father. I promise nothing will change when I'm married, father, she whispered to him. You know I'll never leave you. There was a crowd of villagers outside the church. Just then, Miss Priscilla and her father drove into the village. Look, father, cried Priscilla, how lucky We're in time to see the Weaver's daughter getting married. I'm sorry Nancy couldn't find a pretty girl like that to take care of. Yes, my dear, agreed Mr. Lameter. Now that we're all getting older, it would be good to have a young one in the family. They went into the Red House. The castes were not going to Effie's wedding. When the wedding group came out of the church, the villagers and Silas's family went to the rainbow. There was a wonderful wedding lunch, which had been paid by Godfrey. It's very generous of the squire to pay for all this," said the landlord. Well, what would you expect?" replied Mr. Macy. Remember, it was his own brother who stole the weaver's gold, and Mr. Godfrey has always helped Marner. Well, it's only right to help a man like Master Marner. I'd like you all to remember. I thought Master Marner was harmless now let's drink to the health of the happy young couple and the villagers lifted their glasses and said to Epi and Aaron when the meal was over Silas Epi and Aaron walked back to their cottage it had been enlarged by Godfrey's workmen and was looking lovely Oh, father said, Eppy, what a pretty home ours is! I think nobody could be happier than we are.